Well, the streaming conversation is coming up again. Interesting thoughts on whether or not the Pac-12 could only get 50% of its games on linear television or worse, eh, might not be that bad. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. That's a recurring tagline because here we are. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show, which is being recorded by yours truly in a long sleeve shirt. I honestly didn't even realize until I started playing the intro today that. I was still wearing this. It was a layer from a cold round of golf earlier. Anyway, not that you care about that. Uh, Dennis Dodd came out with an article. Our good friend Dennis, who has been, I don't know him personally. I do actually know personally the guy that he interviewed, a guy by the name of Jim Williams, who you know was making things uh, buzz around in the bloggers and Twitter spheres, however you pronounce those uh, those fun semi-made-up words that I was just trying to say basically saying that he doesn't think the Pac-12 would be able to get more than 50% of its games on linear television and that at least 50% would be on streaming. Now, on the surface, that sounds really bad. And I do see the exposure argument at some level. But the question for the Pac-12 going forward is how compelling of content athletically can you actually make? Because if you make a product as a conference that people want to watch, that want to tune into, then they'll be willing to pay for that service. For example, I have never been a big fan of MMA, boxing, UFC, or anything like that. But many, many years ago, I hosted a party with, uh, or no, I went to a party with some friends for the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. And had I been at my house, I would have been willing to pay for that because it was compelling. That is part of the question the Pac-12 is going to be asking itself here, is if they're going to have a streaming partner involved and you're all worried about exposure, how interesting can you make the games? How exciting can you make the games? What brands are you going to have on there? What teams are you going to have on there? What matchups? All that sort of stuff is part of the streaming calculation as to whether or not they could get enough exposure in that sense. Also, just because the games are being streamed on Amazon or Apple, it's not as if they aren't still going to be covered on college game day. It's not as if they aren't going to have highlights flying around on the internet via YouTube. It's not as if they won't still be featured on SportsCenter if the games are relevant, right? That's the first thing that I wanted to bring up today. The second thing with the streaming conversation, and also in this particular piece, again, I know Jim. He's a nice guy, and he's been around the industry for a long time. He's also being purely speculative here, right? He's expressing his thoughts, which are that he doesn't think the Pac-12 will be able to get more than 50% of its content on linear television, which would be a few games less than the Big 12, which is at like, I think, a 70% minimum or so, 
But then if you're going on a percentage by percentage basis, that's like a handful of football games. But here's the other factor you have to consider with the idea of having a streaming partner involved. Who is that streaming partner? Because the other media rights broadcast partner for many years, in addition to ESPN and Fox, has been the Pac-12 network, which was available to about 40 million homes across the country. Now, Apple TV+, Plus, which is rumored to be involved, but we don't know because we still don't have a deal and I'm still talking about this thing because that's my job and I know that's what you all care about right now and it's frankly what I care about right now too, has about 25 million subscribers. Amazon has 200 million. So when you're talking about the exposure issue, People always bring it up as if it's a newfound problem for the Pac-12 that's going to create unforeseen and previously unnavigated challenges for the league and its conference or and its teams within the conference going forward. That is untrue because the Pac-12 network only reached 40 million. And if you were partnered with Amazon, you'd have 200 million people who could watch. Now, where they're located, I don't have that demographical data, but that is a massive, massive number. The other factor here with the streaming question is right now, streaming is a secondary way for people to consume sports. And I wonder, I'm just saying I wonder here. I'm not a media executive, so I won't pretend to be one because I'm not not going to pretend to be something or someone that I am not. But what is the effect of cord cutting in these negotiations and the valuation and exposure of being on a particular streaming platform? Because the issue that people always bring up is, well, you know, recruits aren't going to watch if you're not on linear television. How many of those recruits and you don't have this number, and I don't have this number either. How many of those recruits that are not going to be watching your games, apparently, because they aren't on linear television, how many of them don't have Amazon Prime? I don't know. I don't know what the number is. I assume it's not 100%, but is it 80%? Is it 90%? Is it 20%? Statistically, it's going to be closer to 80% have it and could watch your games if they want to, And that's also not a major way that recruits are going to be interested in your school. It's a way to get on their radar. It's a way to get your brand out there as a university for sure. But you know how a player finds out about a particular school? The school shows interest. They send them a letter that says, hi, so-and-so, we would like to extend to you a scholarship offer. We would also like you to go tweet out that you are blessed to receive an offer from our prestigious university, and we would like to have you out for a recruiting visit on one of these dates. That is far more important for how you get a recruit to come on campus and take an interest in your school than that recruit watching the games on TV. If you're so concerned about them watching and and making sure they see your games, then either go play a game in their area or, you know, see if there's something on the area or on the schedule close to the area is uh, is the more likely outcome there. Number one, depending on who you're recruiting or number two, how about you just bring them to your games? You can do that, too. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but I think it gets overplayed dramatically that if it were 50 percent streaming and 50 percent linear. 
that'd be fine. The exposure compared to what it has been for the last 15 years, which hasn't been great, at the very least, it'd be comparable. Because I think if Amazon were a partner, you could have potentially greater numbers and greater viewership and easier access to watching your conferences games than you did on the Pac-12 network. And that that gain, potentially, again, it's not a given. I'm not saying it's a given. I'm saying the potential is there. That potential gain could outweigh the cost or the loss of not being on linear as often. But when we're talking percentages, you gotta remember each game is not worth 1%. There are about, uh, I, I think the article said 60 to 70 games available for streaming or linear, right? So if you do some simple math, you can figure that out. And I didn't do the math ahead of recording this particular episode, but if you do the math there, we're talking about a handful of games each year compared to the big 12, which everyone is looking at right now, that would not be on linear television. Who would even be involved in that? Would it be Oregon? Would it be Colorado? Would it be Arizona state? Would it be Washington? All that sort of stuff would, uh, would factor in there. So those are thoughts on that, but thoughts on uh, the Arizona president Robbins, Robert Robbins, who's uh, a talkative fellow has got some opinions, has got some thoughts and, uh, yeah, an interesting question came in about him. It was a, a most in, interesting question about what he's actually doing there. I I don't know everything because I haven't spoken to him. I do know, however, that FanDuel is America's number one sports book and the NBA playoffs are almost here. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel. New customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't Win. Just go to fanduel.com slash locked on to sign up to get that no sweat first bet. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. You can also bet the Masters over there. I'm a big golf fan. Huge, huge golf fan. I'm not going to go into a Trump impression here, but I thought about it. Uh, he's not the only one who says huge, though. There are other politicians anyway. Uh, but you don't want to miss your chance, really, to go ahead and get a no sweat first bet, first bet, no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with Fanduel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Sorry, I had to scratch an itch there in my head. I wonder if that comes from a podcast. Yeah, anyway. So uh, this question came in from Teacher Joe. Hello, Teacher Joe. Nice to meet you. My question, is the Arizona president taking a speaking role for the good of the group to take pressure off of the conference president? And then in parentheses, he puts Mr. I can't spell his name, Klyovkov, K-L-I-A-V-K-O-F-F. The negotiators and the lawyers during the, quote, highly secret negotiations to get the best deal possible most of the other deals were made without an enormous spotlight 24-7. Do you think this is part of the whole picture? I don't think there's been active coordination here between the Pac-12 front office and Robert Robbins for him to serve as the mouthpiece for the league, essentially, for him to do their PR for them, right? Because not every comment that he – because if that were the case, you know, 95% of the comments and remarks that he's made – would have been said but then there were a couple in there such as the line you know we could drive to lubbock okay if he were doing pr for the conference that line would have never been said he had to walk it back he had to backtrack and whatnot and say no that wasn't a shot at this but it, it was obviously an indication that 
they're keeping the door open if the deal either doesn't get done or if the deal is not to their liking, right? In in some form or, or fashion here. But I think it's hard to imagine that George Klyovkov would go to the president of, of the University of Arizona of all schools and say, hey, can you go out and put out some statements that make us look better than uh, we are being perceived right now? Great. Thanks. Appreciate you, man. I don't think Arizona would be the choice there, number one. And number two, if George Klyovkov wanted to fight the PR battle, you know, I've talked about this a, a couple times over the last few months here on the show. If he wanted to, he could, but he clearly doesn't want to. He clearly doesn't care. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what Dennis Dodd thinks. He doesn't care what any other college football reporter thinks. He doesn't care what I think. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. And that strategy is either going to be vindicated or perceived in a vastly negative light, depending on how the media deal actually ends up being. Or at this point, whether or not we get one. I was reading a previous piece from Dennis Dodd from back at, at the end of February, and I think it was Kirk Schultz at Washington State said, I expect a deal by the middle of March. Really, Kirk? Really? Now, he might have actually expected that. He also might have been running PR. But that might, that that could be part of the thinking here for George Klyovkov, is you could fight the PR battle and help your league's perception and spend time doing that, or – you could just go and try and get the best deal you possibly can and let everybody talk themselves into a circled frenzy all the time, which is what he's basically doing. And it's me. I am talking in a circled frenzy. It's not completely circular. I'm trying to take it off into new directions as best I can. He's making it difficult for me. I can tell you that. And I hope I don't have to do this stuff uh, much longer. But I, I do like what you pointed out in your question, Teacher Joe, that, you know, a lot of things get done without a constant media spotlight. It's not a requirement. I mean, when Paul George and Kawhi Leonard went to the LA Clippers or Durant to the Warriors, it was like, wait, what? They're, they're doing what now? USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Uh, I'm sorry, what? I remember that day so vividly. I'd been hosting the show for uh, just a few months. What is that? Uh, I've been hosting the show for like two months. And I was sitting in this very chair and I was on the phone with somebody. I think it was my dad. And and I, uh, I saw the news that Dennis Dodd had broke that USC and UCLA were leaving. And I was like, hey, I I think I have to go. And I was I was in the media space, whether that's YouTube, podcasts, other shows, consuming information, figuring out what was going on, what was going next. That was like nine hours. I'm not kidding. It was like eight to nine hours. I sat here and only got up to go eat or go to the bathroom. And that was it. And I was just like trying to figure out and process everything that was going on. That came completely out of nowhere. So you never know is the point that I'm making here. You just, you, you absolutely never know. You also never know who to keep an eye on in the future for conference realignment. And, and I've got another question today's show too. Uh, three great questions for today's show. If you ever want to be a part of the mailbag, by all means. YouTube comments, love the engagement we see on there. Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12 DMs and mentions wide open for you to slide into and get a question answered here on the show. So at PF Doom, 
trying to figure out like what that means. Is that like Dr. Doom from the Fantastic Four movies, but with pro football minus the focus? I don't know. Uh, it's just <laughs> things that pop into my head when I see PF Doom. Uh, wants to know more about Memphis because their school that I mentioned last week when I was discussing about not in this round, but in the next round of realignment, who could be appealing? And Memphis is one of the schools I listed. So I did a little bit of digging on, on that front and looked at, you know, what Memphis kind of brings to the table. Now, on, on the surface, I think Memphis is highly appealing for the Pac-12. You get into a new geographical market, right? Your reach goes, you know, even beyond the state of Texas. You're going to be adding a school, as I'll get to, with uh, some some high high level of athletic competitiveness. But there, there are things about Memphis right now that actually make it less enticing and it they're they're not on the sports front. Now, me as a sports fan, let's, you know, separate church and state here and say, okay, let's pretend for a moment that you were just looking at sports. Yeah, Memphis has got some qualifying factors there, but the other elements they have not it's 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 not as much of a lock home run, you know, if they could overcome the logistical question, which is a legitimate hurdle I think for the Pac-12, if they were able to get past that and look at Memphis, has a couple things that I'm like, okay, well, they might have to bend their their normal rules a little bit. So their endowment, first of all, as a university is smaller than you might think. It's about 220 million, which I know sounds like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of colleges and universities, not the world's largest endowment. And I should have looked this up, but uh, yeah, just just for comparison here, one of the smaller schools in uh, the Pac-12, or at least one that is perceived that way, Oregon State University. And their endowment, according to Wikipedia here, just a nice quick little Google search in 2021 is, there are actually a few different, uh, a few different numbers there, but it's in like the $800 million range. So that's that's not quite operating on the same level or the same equal footing as a lot of Pac-12 schools uh, would be. And now I'm just curious. Arizona State's got the largest uh, enrollment in the conference, I believe. Yeah, they've got an endowment of about $1.25 billion for fiscal year 2022. So, yeah, pr- pretty pretty small on that front. Uh, the other thing, and these are all factors that Pac-12 presidents who decide realignment, I'm just going to reiterate that. I should say that like once a show. Pac-12 presidents vote on realignment, not athletic directors. Um, put that on my gravestone, please. Just have have the gravestone shaped like the Pac-12 logo behind me and then just have it say, Spencer McLaughlin, Pac-12 presidents decide realignment, not athletic directors. <laughs> Uh, I hope I made somebody laugh with that joke. <laughs> anyway, back to the, <laughs> back to Memphis. So their endowment's a little bit smaller than you'd think. In fiscal year 2021, per their own reporting, they did $50 million in research, which is not a lot. Now, They also state very clearly, this does matter going forward, whether or not they could develop this element of themselves as a school, they have a desire to be 
an R1 institution, which we know the Pac-12 loves, especially if you don't have an AAU label, which they do not. And I don't know that they'd be able to get into that club, at least in the early portion of a potential uh, Power 5 membership in the Pac-12. They don't have elite academics, right? Their ranking is not particularly high. They're not that well known for it. But if you can move things up on the R1, like they their stated goal is to get to the $600 million range. They've got a long ways to go, but if they could get there one day, I think that would soften the blow of, you know, a less than stellar academic ranking or reputation compared to some other potential additions like Tulane or Rice. You know, again, this is down the line, next round of realignment and media rights deals and, uh, and, and whatnot. But they don't have that in, in the American conference this year, not not the biggest television draw, 85th in the country in 2022. You know, they, they were a ways behind SMU. You know, people love the bash on, oh, man, SMU is like the number seven or eight school in the state of Texas, which is, is true, of course. But like on the surface, if you then went to another state and said, well, yeah, you should add Memphis. They're just the number two, you know, football viewership school probably in the state of Tennessee, right? Yeah, well, there's still about 140,000 on average per game behind what SMU was in 2022. So, not an elite TV draw, but they are listed as a top 30 media market in Nashville, or at least Nashville is, and having access there. Yeah, it could be appealing. You know, it's actually rated just ahead from uh, the, the media website I was looking at for, um, you know, that was just assessing the value of the market. So it was actually just ahead of Salt Lake City, which was number 30. So it, it's not like that's impossible, but. I honestly thought they were going to have more things going for them, but the biggest thing they would have is athletic competitiveness. They have eight or more wins in seven of their last eight seasons in football, and they've done that over the course of three different head coaches. Now they had a six and six season in 2022, but the the tradition's been there. History, you can't win if you don't have investment and and at least some money, even if they don't have as much as say an SMU, uh, for instance, would have. And then in men's basketball, they add unquestioned value. They've been in the tournament the last couple of years, got to the second round, and barely lost to Gonzaga in uh, in 2022 in the, in the tournament. Penny Hardaway's their coach. So a lot of things going for them athletically. But the other side of the coin, like they're a little bit like Fresno State. They're, they're not there academically. But the other piece of the puzzle – the athletics. Yeah, that's all uh, that's all right there. So if you want to know anything more, by all means, uh, let me know whether it's about Memphis or another school. OK, wrapping up with this question from David Brown, who's uh, one of the Husky followers here uh, at Locked On Pack 12. Appreciate all of you out there, no matter what school you're representing. I've had a number of comments recently from people who say they're Big 12 fans that, you know, they, they appreciate the show. I, I love hearing that because there's a lot of beef out there between the Big 12 and the Pac-12. And it doesn't need to be that way. Sometimes it can be, right? It can be it can be jovial and, you know, throw jabs and whatnot, but it doesn't have to be hostile all the time. And unfortunately that happens, but such is the world we live in. So, uh, David Brown, question. Spencer, what about all of Stanford's Olympic sports? Do they need football and basketball money to keep funding them? Basically, the, the short answer to the question is yes. And I've seen this firsthand 
working at a, a division one institution, talking to uh, administrators and finance people and all that sort of stuff. If you don't understand how college sports fundamentally work, the only sports that actually make money, as in they are revenue generating sports, are football by a lot, football, and then some, but not all, men's basketball. And then occasionally you can have, you know, a tertiary sport that that breaks even or maybe even, you know, generates a little bit of a profit, you know, like a a women's basketball team, for for instance, here and there, you could probably find some programs that, you know, operate in the black, not the red. I think I got that accounting term correct. I hope I did. I don't know. I'll text my ex-girlfriend and ask her. But I I believe that that is the general way that, that it works. Like if you break even as a program independently and you're not football or men's basketball, you're doing something incredibly right incredibly right because it's much much tougher generally how it works is the money that comes in from football men's basketball doesn't just go to football men's basketball so take an fcs football game for instance when a power five team plays an fcs school the fbs school power five program is paying that fcs school sometimes it's hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes it's millions of dollars i think there was an article i saw last year where kent state went around and got thrashed by Washington, Oklahoma, and Georgia in the same year, right? They compete in the MAC. Let me let me double check that. Uh, Kent State. Um, <laughs> shoot, you, 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 uh, you, you look up Kent State Conference. Yeah, they're in the Mid-American Conference. Um, I'm sure some of you are typing that. But so they're in the Mid-American Conference. But so by going around – and playing what are commonly referred to as buy games, Washington, Georgia, and Oklahoma in the same year, they netted something like $2 million. Now, that money does not exclusively go to Kent State football. My, my understanding is somewhere in the neighborhood of 60-ish, 66%, you know, maybe two-thirds of it does, but the rest of it gets distributed to the rest of the athletic department to pay for a variety of things because there are only about a bajillion different things that, that cost money to run a college sports program, right? You have to pay coaches. You have to pay trainers. Nowadays, you well, NIL collectives are, are, are separate. We'll leave that out for, for now. But the, the money that comes in, like when we talk about the media rights deals, right, and how much they're paying per school, Right. The Big 12s pays 31.6 million per school and the SEC pays uh, 65 and the Big 10 pays 75 or whatever those numbers are. That's not all going to football. It goes to the athletic department and then it is adjudicated according to how the athletic director, administrators and you know coaches lobbying and all that sort of stuff as they see fit. So bringing it back to the question with Stanford and all the Olympic sports. Yes. They do because none of those sports are making money within the in the department. But the other element here is even in power five or high major athletic departments, but really outside of the power five, most athletic departments do not make money. They have to be supplemented with with donor money or or fundraising. Those, those are the two ways that athletic departments can get back to breaking even or coming close to breaking even because this stuff is expensive. 
you know, even at the mid-major level, coaching salaries are in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. You have several coaches making that. They've got multiple assistants. Then you've got to pay for uniforms. Then you've got to pay for equipment. You've got to pay medical staff. You've got to pay facilities. I mean, like you've got to pay administrators. You just keep going. These are all multi-million dollar operations, but they don't all have multi-million dollar revenue streams. But the way that they account for that is at number one, buy games, which should never go away for this very reason, because they're the lifeblood for some programs, some athletic programs across the country. It's how they get a significant amount of money to give, not just to their football programs, but to other sports as well. How they give out scholarships. That's the other thing that I left out. Those are really expensive. But the money that comes in, you know, via the media deal that allows the Pac-12 to, you know, pay several hundred thousand dollars to a, a rowing coach or a, a, a gymnastics coach or, or somebody like that in a non-revenue sport is because the money comes in from from donors yes but the media rights money that is driven by football primarily men's basketball secondarily benefits everybody else within the department because that's the way that that funding tends to work. So, you know, looking at Stanford specifically, yeah, they're, they're no different than anybody else, right? Like any schools, you know, just about any schools, I'm talking on average, I'm sure there are exceptions out there. You know, like I wouldn't be surprised if Oklahoma softball and the number of times they're on television, the way that sport's growing, yeah, they, they, they might come close to breaking even, but even they probably operate in the red, and the amount that they could bring in as a softball program is pennies on the dollar compared to what football can bring in. So that 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 is the way that athletic departments tend to work. Like softball can offer scholarships because of the money that football brings in. Fundamentally, that's how it works. But when that money is not sufficient, that's where donors, that's where boosters, that's where fundraising comes into play, which is why it's always such a high priority for, for athletic directors, right? And so for Stanford, if like Stanford is not lacking money, they're lacking commitment and proper coaching hires because the number of wealthy boosters who went to Stanford Maybe they don't care enough about athletics to give the sort of money that's needed, but they're out there. Like they're not missing those sorts of people. You got a lot of smart, wealthy individuals that went to Stanford. And a lot of people understand that part of the game in college is after you graduate, if you so choose, you may donate money back to a school that is no longer giving you a service. You know, John Mulaney has a great joke about this where he says, you know, I got a letter from my alma mater asking me for money, which is weird because I haven't taken a class there in 15 years. It is kind of odd, but it's the way that it works. So it's not exclusively all the time, you know, football and basketball money that gets into the media deal and whatnot, right? It, it all kind of goes into one big pot. And then that's, you know, listed on their total revenue or total amount of funding available. And then they disperse it accordingly across all their sports. So hope that answers your question. If it's not clear, I can try and explain, explain it further. Now seeing that that explanation went on for a little while. So long episode today, but you know what? That's all right. Keep the questions coming. I love them. YouTube, Twitter, however you want to get in touch with me, by all means, I'm out there. I got a couple messages on, uh, Facebook Messenger the other day. 
I'm available. That's kind of the name of the game when you're in my line of work. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day.